from Bureaucracy's basement to your ears in compliance with Memo EX 1063. This is the weekly meeting of the Queen City Improvement Bureau. On this week's meeting, we have vaccination talk, innovative revenue tools, a second half of the show, and so much more. This meeting is now in session. Hey, hello. How are you? I'm well. How are you? Yeah, I'm very good. Oh, good. Are you ready to meeting? I'm I'm so ready to meeting. Are you? No, no man has ever been more ready to use a gerund as a transitive verb than I am. Yeah. I, I don't even know if I got that right. Yeah, you didn't. Ah, I tried. I tried very hard. Sorry, I'm actually, like, getting arranged in my seat here. So, uh, you know, if we're going to have this meeting, we need to do the attendance thing that we oh, do. Atten- we do that all the time. Yeah. And it never seems to work out right. Nope, never. But I have I have high hopes for this Me one. Me too. Okay. Make it work. I will. It will work. So, uh, this meeting we have um, Dan Palacci. That doesn't ring a bell. Dan no. Palacci? No. Sorry. He won like three welterweight titles. Dan Palacci? Yes. You sure? Yeah. I used to be all about the welterweights. Yeah. No, um, I don't remember him once. Well, it turns out he was actually a flyweight, but he was just wearing lead weights. Oh, actually, yeah. no, wait, I remember so they, that, they stripped that him scandal. Of all his yeah. Titles, yeah. And then he took off the lead weights, and then uh, turns out he could be like a sprinter. We never knew nice. because of the lead weights he was always right. wearing. So we want to talk to him about that. A bit. Yeah. 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 Um, I don't see him here. No, I don't think he's coming. Oh, oh, this is, sorry, this is, um... I see what I've done. I think I mixed up the letters oh. in his name. Really? You? No, believe it or not. Um, so Paul Deschen. That's actually me. Oh. Yes, nice. I am Paul Deschen. Very good. Okay. Um, and we also have um, we have a Rona A. Dinham. No. no. No, we do not. We don't? No, I don't think so. Okay. Well, a Rona A. Dinham? Yeah. You don't look like a Rona, so I'm assuming not it's much. not you. No, um, in that case... Okay, this is a little awkward, but I think what happened here is I mixed up the letters, so if it's... Yeah. It should be Aiden Morgan? That is actually you. Perfect. So we're both here. We Yes, we are both here. Do we have quorum? We do not have quorum, but we have to go forward. All right. The meeting must always go forward. <laughs> it, can never, it can never go backwards. Never go backwards. No. No. Okay. Times arrow work moves yes. one way at, this, uh, at the Queen City. Boom. Now, who do we have with us in the studio today? In the sub basement studio, um, I believe it's Tanya Diener. Yes, that's me. Hey, oh. Tanya, thanks for making your way down here. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. Yeah, so you you, you didn't give me a chance to get her name completely wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Next oh, well. time. Oh well. Yeah, um, Tanya, you are from the Regina Capel Health Region. That's correct. And you are a doctor of uh, public health and preventive medicine. Okay. Um, Yeah, so we wanted to talk to you today because it is that time of year we've heard uh, where uh, the weather is getting colder and people are starting to think of their sniffles and their their hacking coughs. And I'm fairly certain ours are like asbestos related, but some people are actually like, you know, they get sick. Yes. And apparently there are things that you can do to avoid getting sick. I think immersing yourself in a bath of colloidal silver, for example, is just perfect. Okay, and failing that, because we have none down oh. here. 
Okay, that's right. Otherwise, we'd be rich. I, I thought we could talk about this thing I've heard about called vaccinations. Perfect. I've got so much to tell you guys about that. So about vaccinations? Excellent. Okay. Um, well, uh, school started a couple of weeks ago, and I've heard that uh, notices went out to kids in grade six that they should be getting their vaccinations this year. Um, I guess I wanted to ask you, what, for instance, what, what vaccines should kids be getting by this point? Like, by the, by the time they're school age, what vaccines should they have? Okay, so I'm going to start right at the beginning. Good. So most little guys start getting their first vaccines by age two months. And um, it's like two, four, six, 12, 18 months. Right. Then they get a little break. And just before they go to school at age four to six, we yeah. give them a few more. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then when they get to grade six and grade eight, they get their last vaccines um, in school. Right. But as adults, we need to remember that once we get out of school, we're not off the hook. So as right. adults, there's quite a few that we can uh, yeah. can receive as well. The, um, the standard vaccine schedule mm-hmm. that kids are getting in uh, Saskatchewan, uh, what does that cover them for? Right. Again, starting right at the beginning, they, uh, they receive a vaccine called rotavirus vaccine. That's mm-hmm. against a gastrointestinal one. Um, they receive vaccines against pneumococcal disease. So that's more of a respiratory one, but it can also cause meningococcal uh, meningitis. Um, then there's a five in one. Okay. Um, and some of the diseases, um, some of the people on the line might not even have heard of because the vaccines work so good. So something like diphtheria, we just don't see it around right. anymore, but yeah. it's because the vaccines are so good. Um, Haemophilus is another one that can cause uh, meningitis. And again, since the introduction of that vaccine, we've seen a tremendous decrease in the number of cases. We still immunize people against polio tetanus i think most most parents like tetanus right because kids tend to fall and scrape their knees right uh but then let's see at at grade six level um hepatitis b um we have the hpv vaccine we have another meningococcal one um and again some of these vaccines you need some booster doses so there's grade eight booster for instance that includes uh, tetanus diphtheria and pertussis Right. And influenza, right. which we don't give as part of a school immunization, but flu season is coming up, so I hope we're going to talk about that one too. You bet. Mm-hmm. Um, pertussis, that's it's actually whooping cough. Whooping cough, Yeah, that's and that's right. a nasty one. That's a nasty one, and you might have heard that there's quite a bit of pertussis going around in the province, so it's really important that we immunize our little guys on time. There's a reason why we say start your immunization at two months. because we want to protect them. And if anyone decides to postpone a vaccine and only come in at four months, you have an extra two months that that little guy can actually pick it up. Mm -hmm. We also make sure that those around the babies before they um, hit two months and get their first needle, that they actually um, do have pertussis vaccine so that they can protect that little baby. It's like a cocoon effect, right? Make mm-hmm. sure mom is up to date, grandma, um, dad, etc. Um, for a little guy of two months, that's not a nice disease, you know? Yeah. Um, we've seen a few cases over the years that actually end up um, in ICU. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's really important that parents take this seriously. It's not just a little cough. Kids can get very sick. 
and we need to bring our kids in on time and we need to make sure that all our immunizations are up to date so that we can protect them when they cannot protect themselves. Yeah. And with the whooping cough, like if anybody goes on YouTube, they'll see like there's like testimonials of people who've lived through it and how like the coughing is so bad that you'll like burst the blood vessels in your eyeballs and Well, don't make it sound cool. <laughs> I mean, people actually can vomit. Yeah. Because of of these cough bursts. Yeah. Um so it's uh it's a very important one that we want to protect our kids against, yeah. Right. Right. Um, so some of these, you're, you're talking about how like some of these diseases, we don't even hear about them anymore. Like polio was like, um, it's gone. It's eradicated right. in North America. Right. People don't get it. And um, some of these like um, hemophilus, I'd never even heard of that until you yeah. mentioned it, that these things are just eradicated. The important part is it's gone from, say, take polio, it's gone from North America, but it yeah. still exists in other parts of the world, right? Right. And... I always say diseases are one plane right away. Mm -hmm. So right. it takes us visiting another place where they still have it or someone from that particular country coming to Canada. Yeah. And that's why it's very important that we really still stay up to date on even our polio immunizations, even if we have never seen a case. Right. Do we get polio? When do we get that? Um, you actually started at uh, two months. Really? And you get quite a few doses. Mm -hmm. um, so, uh, yeah right from the beginning right um i wanted to talk to you about uh there's a lot of a lot of concern unnecessary concern around vaccinations um and you know i get it like getting those needles is not fun and for like a little kid getting my jab with a needle like four times in the morning uh, at two or you know at two months like that's that's like the worst thing <laughs> that's ever happened to this kid and the doctor is doing it and it's hard like you you talk to a kid who's like you know getting vaccines and it's like you trying to explain to them well no this little bit of pain now protects you from a oh, world of pain in the future yeah, right. and they don't get that and it's got to be hard for parents um how much how much vaccine denial do you encounter as a public health doctor very little Oh yeah. Very in, in in our specific health region, it's not a huge problem. We do know that in some places there are pockets of mm. vaccine deniers for various reasons. Um but uh must be honest, no, it's not a huge problem for us. Right. That is good. Um one of the things though is um the issue of like herd immunity mm -hmm. and the idea that if um because, uh, you know, at a school, you can get kids who are immunocompromised mm -hmm. for whatever reason. And uh, so they can't get a vaccine. And also their white blood cell counts will be low okay. and will not have the protections against diseases that they could run into. Right. Um, so it's really important for the people around them. Uh, like, can you explain what this idea of herd immunity sure. is and what we need to do to have it in our community? So, um, again, for various reasons, sometimes people cannot get immunized, right? Um, little ones under the age of six months, we don't immunize them with influenza vaccine. Little ones under two months, they don't have their pertussis vaccine. So you can either be too young or if you're immunosuppressed, either because of a disease or medication, First of all, we don't want to give you live vaccines. It's a weakened live vaccine, but still they can get a modified disease, right? So they're not getting that. But secondly, even the inactivated vaccines, even if we give them the influenza shot, mm -hmm. 
they're not gonna develop the same type of immunity that a healthy person so it will always be lower so the people around them we have a responsibility to keep those people healthy but it's very different for each disease so herd immunity just means that there's enough people that's got immunity either through disease or vaccination that they can actually protect those who's not immune because this is not enough people who are susceptible to disease but every disease has its own herd immunity level right if you for instance take measles that um, transmit very easily you need a very high herd immunity of about 95 percent of people needs to be immunized before you can feel fairly mm. comfortable a disease like polio is little less transmissible so you're probably looking at about 85 percent but then there's other diseases like tetanus where herd immunity doesn't play a role at all yeah because tetanus doesn't spread from me to you it's in the soil right Mm -hmm. so if i'm as an individual don't have my tetanus shots up to date i'm susceptible so it doesn't matter how many people around me are protected i'm vulnerable right um in the Regina Capel Health region, how are we doing for, say, measles and polio vaccination levels? Right. So um, the province have set um, three targets um, throughout the province. And um, the first one is um, one dose of pertussis vaccine by 91 days. So that's about three months. Um, the other one is one dose of measles, mumps, and rubella by two. And the third one is two doses of the measles, mumps, rubella by five years. And the targets set by them are 88%. Um, For one of them, we're making it. And for the other two, we are just below 88%. So what are we making it on? How do you mean? Sorry, no, which which one of the vaccines are we like winning? Um, one to <laughs> one dose by one dose of MMR by two years. Okay. Good. However, that sounds pretty good, right? Right. But as a health region we also measure in between right. and we also look at two doses by by two years because you're supposed to get it by twelve and eighteen months, mm-hmm. right? And then we kind of just above 75%. So we also measure in between. So sometimes right. kids fall off the radar in between those three official uh, measurements. And we're a little worried about those. We measure it every month, but we break it down by neighborhoods so that we know exactly where the low ones are and where we need to focus for the next month. Right. Um, and there's different initiatives that we take. Yeah. Because not all neighborhoods are the same, right? You need different mm-hmm. tactics for, yeah. for every neighborhood. Do you have an idea, like, why we're, why there's, like, this drop-off? Like, why the health region isn't capturing the entire population quite the way that it's hoping? Okay. Although the official target is 88, we always want to get as close to 100% yeah. as mm-hmm. possible, right? Which yeah. is not achievable. Um, but if you look at your different neighborhoods, um, I think there's, there's different reasons. Um, sometimes people go on the, on the internet and read about um, vaccines and decide that they're going to trust certain websites which give them misinformation about vaccines. Right. Um, then it's important to get them in try to relay those misconceptions, mm-hmm. point them to the correct websites, and hopefully you can convince them. 
um, to bring the kid in. Other times, it might be that people are just too busy. There's so many other things happening in their lives yeah. that it's not that they made a decision not to immunize. It's just not top of the list. Mm -hmm. And I think especially when you're dealing with um, a population where there's a lower socioeconomic status, where maybe where your next meal is coming from or where I'm going to sleep tonight or I've just lost my job. Those are big issues. Mm -hmm. And vaccination is just another one. So um, very few people make the conscious decision not to immunize. And so one of our tactics to make sure that people come in on time is what we call our reminder and recall phone calls. So we would actually, um, we have a database and so before your kid's supposed to come in, we will make phone calls to remind you that your child is due for that. And if you miss your appointment or the time that your child was supposed to come in, we do what we call recall um, phone calls to say, hey, we missed you. Can we book another appointment? Uh, it's important that the kid get immunized. Awesome. And let's say somebody misses all of these like early vaccination mm -hmm. dates. Um, when there is the in-school vaccination right. at grade six, can they like scoop all these kids up and sort that out then? We actually um, do what we call another check of the immunization status in grade one. So when kids oh, enter okay. school, right. we review the records to just see if there's anyone that missed out on anything and we can catch them up. We also have um, quite a, a big immigrant population that can come in at any time right any any class any time of the year so it's important also to make sure that uh, those kids are up to date because countries do have different um, immunization schedules right mm -hmm. um so i wanted to ask you about another one of the uh, vaccinations that mm -hmm. you mentioned uh and i should note that we're on 91.3 fm cjtr regina community radio this is the queen city improvement bureau that is correct yeah i'm paul deshane with aiden morgan we're talking to tanya diener from the regina cabell health region um <coughs> One of the newest vaccines in the schedule, and it's in the, uh, the kids get it in grade six, is the HPV vaccine, the human papillomavirus. Did I get that right? That's perfect. Awesome. <laughs> um, so that's been a little bit controversial. Uh, and yet, is this an effective vaccine? Is it working? Yes. Um, you know, this is only our second cancer-preventing vaccine. The first one being hepatitis B, right, mm -hmm. uh, linked to liver cancer. So this is the second uh, cancer-preventing vaccine. Um, up to this year, we gave the HPV-4 vaccine. That meant that's four different strains within the vaccine. This year, we actually have an improved product, and there's now nine strains in it. Oh. Up to last school year, uh, it was given to grade six girls. This year, the good news is the grade six boys are also going to receive this. Wait, for free? For free. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that good news? Yeah. Um, this vaccine uh, is protective against uh, genital warts, but also quite a number of, of cancers from cervical cancer, um, anal cancer, penile cancer, um, and what we call head and neck cancer, so uh, mouth cancer, um, oropharynx, etc. And especially 
two stereotypes. So I'm going to give you some numbers. 16 and 18 okay. are the ones that's causing a lot of the problems. So and if we see these, we want to go oh, the other direction. Hopefully right? you're not going to see them. But uh, okay. those are the ones that's really causing a lot of the cancers um, in, in, in both genders, whereas the 6 and 11 is more the genital ward side. Right. Okay. So very important. It's cancer prevention. That's what we should focus yeah. on. And if we have the opportunity to provide that to our kids at an early age, that's wonderful. It's good news. Yeah. And we've been talking before about how um, boys being covered now for the mm -hmm. HPV, this is like, you know, this bit of sunshine in this year's provincial budget. That's, <laughs> that's right. It's, it was kind of a little hidden, but um, I'm very happy that the government made that decision. Right. Um, okay, now what about for like old dudes like Aiden and I? Right. What do we have to watch out it's for? It's so important that, um, you know, when we turn 18, become adults, that we don't think this is the end of our vaccine. So I'll take them one by one. If you think of tetanus, I think mm. everyone basically know that every 10 years they're supposed to get a tetanus shot, mm. right? Um, but because we know pertussis or whooping cough, that the immunity you get from the vaccine kind of goes down over the years, one dose of tetanus after age 18, you actually need to get a bit of pertussis with. So we call it TDAP. So everyone after the age of 18, one of your tetanus doses needs to turn into a TDAP so that you have whooping cough. Uh, measles, mumps, rubella. Some of us might just have one dose. If you're born after the age of 1970, um, you can make contact with public health and we'll be happy to provide you with another dose there. Um, influenza, very important, not just for the old dudes, for everyone, six months and older. Um, very important to get that. Um, pregnant women in particular, it's very important to get um, influenza vaccine, but also the whooping cough. We now provide um, whooping cough or, or pertussis vaccine to pregnant ladies after 26 weeks gestation. So once they reach 26 weeks, and their pregnancy and they haven't had their pertussis, we will provide it during the pregnancy. But then there's also a lot of other free stuff we can get if we have underlying conditions. Right as we get older, we start developing stuff, right? So mm -hmm. people with chronic diseases like um, cardiac disease, respiratory diseases, diabetes, etc., um, can qualify for what we call pneumococcal 23 vaccine. And then once we we 65 years age, um, even if you don't have any underlying conditions, you get the pneumococcal 23. So quite a few things that adults still qualify for and they can receive. Um, but I specifically also want to mention healthcare workers. Okay. We have a huge responsibility. Mm -hmm. We work with um, patients with underlying conditions. We work with little babies who haven't received all their vaccines yet. And we really have responsibility to protect the people um, that we care for. So healthcare workers need to make sure that they're up to date on all the immunizations. But very importantly, as we go into flu season, October 23rd, we're going to start giving the flu shots. And I want to encourage all healthcare workers, but general public, to get the flu shots. I would think, though, that with healthcare workers, it would be dead easy, right? Because wouldn't there just be vaccines lying around? Couldn't they just, yeah. you know, on their lunch break? Would you practically triple over a vaccine, is yeah. what you're saying? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, don't you guys have, like, MMR vaccines in your lunchrooms <laughs> well, at every clinic? And then just when you said you want a sandwich and 
without yeah, an MMR, exactly. wouldn't that yeah, be yeah, good? Yeah. <laughs> oh, I cut my finger on a tin, and it's just like jab yourself with a tetanus vaccine. Oh, that's right. No, I think um, you know it's uh, healthcare workers is probably sometimes like the general population, and they might have questions too. Really? That we try and relay as best as possible. But um, yeah, every year we try and up the percentage of people that's immunized in the healthcare. What do you do in the case of an adult, say, coming in who may have come from another jurisdiction, another province or country, and mm -hmm. may not recall when they last had a vaccine, and there maybe records aren't available? Right. But so what's your strategy in that case? My take is usually if it's not written up, you, you don't have it. You've got nothing to prove, right? Sure. But it's still up to that person to accept what we recommend. So we can say, well, you don't have anything on record. Um, as per our protocols, this is what you qualify for. Mm -hmm. The person might say, well, you know, I'm pretty sure my parents were not against immunization and I just grew up in the neighboring province, so I don't think I want that, but I'll take this, this, and this. But we will offer them whatever they qualify for. And especially when they come from other countries where you might have doubt about what the schedule was or maybe what the cold chain was, right? Mm -hmm. Vaccines need to be kept in fridges right. and sometimes if they left out there and people don't know they might not work that well so um, when we don't have anything on record um, we offer them the full meal deal how about uh, travel if somebody's going overseas oh, or something that's one of my specialties travel oh. so yeah so we have a travel health center um, at 2110 Hamilton Street where we do assess um, people before they travel. Travel is not an insured service, right? So unfortunately people will have to pay for that out of pocket but it's um, not just about vaccines. Um, it's also about, say, malaria prophylaxis. Um, when they go to altitude, they need medication to prevent them from getting altitude illness. We talk to them about um, safe food and water, um, injury prevention, uh, traveling alone. There's so much about travel. So very important that people um, see it as part of their insurance. You know, we all take out insurance for lost luggage and I miss my plane. But your health yeah. is so much more important than that. So really encourage and come well ahead of time because sometimes you need more than one shot in a series and you need some time for it to start working before you start your travel. So if you can come in six weeks before your travels, that would be great. Great. Cool. Okay. Well, thank you very much yes. for running us through all this. Thank you. Yeah. Um, how did she uh, do? Do you think that she's been improving the, the Queen City? It does sound like it. Yeah. I mean, in the sense that people aren't, like, you know, falling over in the street from uh, polio. Yeah. Uh, which sounds to me like a good deal. Yeah. So I think, uh, in that case, I think you do qualify to be an improvement vector. Um, because of budget cuts, we've run out of the cyan for our printer. Oh, my But we goodness. do have magenta and yellow and black. Yeah, so it's this an official. Is very nice. Thank you. Thank you so much. Very oh, unexpected. I don't in. often get a certificate. I'll put it on my wall. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Well, thanks a lot. That was very informative. Really Due to budget cuts, I cannot frame it. No, that's okay. <laughs> Quite understandable. Yes. Yeah. Great. yeah. Maybe next budget. Okay. Oh, yeah. Wow. It'll be a line item for frames. <laughs> All right. So that's it. Um, thanks a lot for coming down. Um, do we have an innovative revenue tool for this week? 
We don't really. We don't. At this, this, at this juncture, we do not. Actually, I have an innovative revenue. Oh, tool. that's good because I did not, as you may. No. Okay. So, innovative right. revenue tools is that part of the meeting where we talk about ways that the city can improve its bottom line by innovating new tools to generate revenue. Oh, an innovative revenue tool. Yes. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. The one that I have actually is not really a, an innovative revenue tool. It's more of a world peace tool. There better be an angle for revenue, though. I don't, there is, there is, but I don't know if it is for yes. the Queen City. Um, a thing that you mentioned a little while ago was the idea of the uh, the robot who's trying to take over the world by making people really unhealthy food. Right, yes. Yeah, and recall. that made me think about how we should be waging war with unhealthy stuff all the time. Mm -hmm. With and our own robots? Well, no, not with our own robots, even better. Um, <laughs> there's been a lot of tension in the air about uh, North Korea. Um, and I don't know if you knew this, but there's many uh, sanctions that have been imposed on North Korea. Yes. And it seems like the saber-rattling and the, the, the general grumpiness uh, in the way that people have been handling North Korea has not been working. I don't know if you've noticed. Mm -hmm. But it's been going on for my entire life and for lives of other people. Yes. And I was thinking, you know what we need to do is we need to give North Korea something that is really not good for them. Oh. I was going to say vaccinations, but that would be good. No, that would be good for them. And, I'm, you know, they might actually be getting those. Yeah, where we know. No, what we should be doing is what they need is more TV, specifically <laughs> more bad TV. <laughs> specifically, what we need to do is we need to say, look, we're going to lift all the sanctions, but what you have to do in North Korea is you have to start broadcasting. They don't even have to translate it. You have to start broadcasting Star Trek The Next Generation, unedited, just on you know, a loop. Just, just on a loop. Yeah, just, you know, same time, 3 o'clock, maybe 5 o'clock every day, Star Trek The Next Generation. Um, and I think that'll do the trick. I think that that will guarantee us uh, North Korea, because no TV show in history has ever exported American culture so thoroughly and completely <laughs> as Star Trek The Next Generation. I actually have a revenue-generating idea based on that. Okay, because I was just thinking of making revenue for the, 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 you know, the heirs of Gene Roddenberry. No, I think instead of, instead of actually licensing somehow Star Trek for them, because yeah. that doesn't do us any good, right. uh, we could actually stage episodes, reenactments of Star Trek episodes on the cheap and then license them at the uh, network price. Oh, And that brilliant. cash would flow to us. Right. Yes. Okay, I called dips on record. Okay. Okay, if that innovative quote-unquote revenue tool doesn't work, <laughs> quote we fortunately have some others recorded here that we can play right now. Perfect. And we're back from innovative revenue tools. We are indeed. Hey, Aiden. Hey. All right, so we've got uh, an interview coming up here, but uh, you said you had something? Yeah, and I, I wanted to uh, talk about it earlier with uh, Dr. Diener, um, because, I mean, it's according to, like, the establishment that vaccines are unambiguously a good thing. Right. But I have, like, a vaccine horror story of my own. Okay. It happened 10 years ago. I uh, I was actually going to go overseas, so I went for my vaccinations. And um, I got the standard, I believe, the Diptet vaccine yep. and others. And on the way out of the building, I stubbed my toe. Oh, my God. And it hurt real bad. And I can't help but think that if I'd never gone for that vaccine, that my toe would not be in the stubbed condition that it is now. I think that's pretty good theory. Yeah. And uh, I went to the doctor, and they said uh, that my toe may never walk again. 
<laughs> well, you know, now nobody can say that we uh, we did a show about vaccines and didn't have both sides of the story on. Fair and balanced. Fair and balanced. Yeah. That's us. All right. Uh, but now we're going to be talking about something else. Losing Our Religion is a movie it is. that is coming up at the Regina Public Library. It'll be airing next Thursday, Friday, Saturday at the uh, Regina Public Library. And on the Friday... One of the filmmakers, oh, actually both of the filmmakers, Leslie Mayer is one of them, uh, she will be there to take questions. And I actually called her up on this thing called Skype. Skippy. Yeah, yeah. and I interviewed her about that movie. Cool. Yeah. I'm actually really curious about it because I have yeah. not heard this interview. Okay, well, yeah, and, uh, well, I'll, Losing Our Religion and uh, Leslie Mayer, she's a Regina, uh, she's part of the Regina filmmaker diaspora. She's now based mm -hmm. in Manitoba, but she was able to reach me through a computer. Wow. In the, in the future, great. I know. Yeah. Who, need, who needs religion when you've got computers? Exactly. Wow. Okay, but, um, I, yeah, I'm going to play that interview for us right now. Well, losing our religion is about preachers who are not believers and what atheists do when they miss church. So we start from the, the point of, you know, what happens when you're a minister and you stop believing in God? What do you do with uh, when your personal life and your professional life are all bound up in this belief thing and then you just can't carry on with that anymore? How do you cope? And from there, we kind of followed the experiences of some preachers who are not believers. And then we, we move on to what do some of the people who are now out of the church do with the skills that they have as ministers and what some of them are doing is building secular communities, which in a lot of ways act kind of like churches, but without the supernatural stuff. So, you know, you've still got community, people coming together, people looking after each other, people caring, being inspired, being, you know, part of something bigger than themselves, but not uh, having to ascribe to a belief in the supernatural that they just can't sustain. How hard was it to find people who were willing to go on air and be filmed talking about this crisis of faith they're having? Well, it was surprisingly easy and surprisingly hard at the same time. And uh, I made contact with a group called The Clergy Project, which is an online safe space for preachers who are not believers to talk to each other about their experiences and get mutual support and that sort of thing from people who actually know where they're coming from because it's different than a, a regular deconversion. Um, I made contact with them and um, after Linda Lascola, who did the initial study with Dan Dennett about preachers who are not believers, um, sussed me out and interviewed me and decided I was okay. Um, they put a call out on their website for me to, uh, to, to, for people to contact me if they wanted to talk. One thing that I promised to get access was that I would not ask anyone to come out on camera. Right. So that meant that I was talking to people and they were going in front of a video camera, but with the caveat that I would not use the footage unless they signed off on it, that they were in a place when I got to the, you know, making the rough cut, that they were able to be public. One of my three pastors was, and two of them weren't. Hmm. So we recreated their interviews with actors because we didn't want to, uh, we didn't want to risk 
uh, anyone being able to identify them. And the usual way of doing it is to stick a funny hat on somebody and shoot them in silhouette and distort their voice. And I thought, wow, just what the atheist community needs, another figure that <laughs> looks and sounds like Beelzebub. <laughs> right. So we had to kind of get creative. And uh, the, the thing that we came up with was we, we were going to use actors and we shot them quite differently than we did a typical interview so that it was clear that these were actors, but at the same time, um, you know, uh, using the words and experiences and, and uh, you know, of the people that are in the clergy project. When I was researching this, I noticed that your movie shares a title with an F.E. Cup book, also called Losing Our Religion. And F.E. Cup is, you know, a noted right-wing commentator on Fox News. She's, uh, last I checked, she says she's an atheist, but she staunchly defends the Christianity of the United States as part of their sort of political heritage. This this overlapping of names kind of suggests the sort of the living and fraught controversy in the United States that you're sort of stepping into, like leaping neck deep. Um, how does it feel as like a Canadian walking into this really dangerous and loaded discussion in the United States? I actually um, I actually really enjoy that kind of discussion. So, you know, I, I think S.E. Cup and I would agree on very few points. And just politically, that's that's not where I come from. I'm a Canadian. I'm a raving socialist. I've always been open about, you know, my beliefs that way. And um, when we were shooting in uh, the United States, though, there were times where I found that I, I needed to be neutral about things. So... We were shooting B-roll in Louisiana. You know, there's that street sign with with uh, all of the different churches kind of, you know, right. set out. And we were on the street, my my cameraman and I, uh, and we were we were uh, shooting away. And somebody came, you know, people would drive up and say, "Well, what are y'all doing?" And uh, we kind of said, "Well, um, you know," I thought, "I can't lie because I don't do that." But at the same time, I got to be neutral about this. So I said, well, we're shooting a film about faith in America. <laughs> and uh, and people were very welcoming to that idea because in their minds, the default is that I'm on the side of religion. That, it, you know, it's like, well, you're in the right place. We've got a church on every corner. It's like, yes, yes, you do. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's. it's interesting being in those areas because you have so much discrimination against people of uh, non-belief but at the same time you have uh, people who have a lot of warmth and they're really it's it's a really interesting place to be but there's god bless you's and you know bless your heart and all of that stuff and it's it's everywhere it's just especially in the rural parts of the deep south have you reached a point yet uh, with promoting or presenting this film that you have you received any pushback uh, for what you're talking about? I haven't received any pushback, but, you know, we haven't been in release for very long and, and the audiences have been fairly limited at this point. It was a small festival that we premiered at and uh, the Winnipeg screenings were fairly small. I'm interested to see what happens when we hit the big smoke uh, this, mm -hmm. this weekend in Toronto. Um, it's running for an entire week. Uh, I did um, get some pushback from actually someone uh, who who is on the secular side online 
when I gave an interview, I said something about um, churches disappearing and dying out and leaving a church-shaped hole in our society and culture. And thinking more along the lines of community, and somebody said, oh, it's still selling that snake oil. I think they just kind of picked up the title of the article. And it's like, so you get, your, I, I expect to get a little bit of pushback from both sides. Because there are parts of the secular community that say, we don't need these secular communities. They're too much like church, and we don't like that. Um, and then I expect from the Christian side, there's there, there will be some pushback. What I do get asked uh, is, if these ministers don't believe anymore, well, they're spiritual but not religious, right? And it's it's kind of like that question of, like, they couldn't possibly be completely atheist, right? This, that doesn't happen or... You know, or will they still believe in something out in the universe? And it's like, no, no, they don't. They really don't. And lots of people, lots more people, more people than ever don't believe in that anymore. So what we see, too, is also a shift to new age types of beliefs. Like God isn't speaking to me, but the universe is. And I think that most of the people that I've been talking to would reject that idea out of hand just as well. When you're doing uh, a documentary on a controversial subject like this do you find that um like do critics or interviewers uh treat you as though you're uh, an advocate for the views that you're exploring do you get confused with the subjects of your your documentaries sometimes sometimes we do i mean most of what we do at Zoot Pictures, my, my production company, and Liv Calder and I, we're, we're, we're a married couple. We're also partners in the business, and we make films together. Um, so, But what we do most of the time are, you know, science or social political documentaries that have a more journalistic style. Mm-hmm. So we do make sure that we have the, you know, the both sides and the counterpoint, and even though we may lean towards one or the other, um, you know, nothing's ever completely equivalent. With this one, we opted not to do the counterpoint on the religious side. So in, in a sense, I think more than most films that I would work on, uh, I am a bit of an advocate. Not, hmm. uh, you know, I think there needs to be space for everybody to do what they need to do to get through their lives. But, you know, I think advocating that, hey, listen, maybe a secular community would, would be a better thing than a religious community or, or whatever. So... So in a sense, yeah, uh, certainly we did a film on fracking. We were, you know, the the anti-fracking people were worried we were in league with the uh, the fracking companies and the fracking companies thought we might be in league with the environmentalists. And, you know, so it all kind of, you know, people will look at you through whatever lens that they're bringing to it. And you just have to try and suspend your judgment for the time that you're there and, and carry on with it. In a lot of ways, this was this was character study. You had these sort of central characters who you follow along through the movie. And I'm thinking about there's the husband and wife who, at the beginning of the film, he's come to his realization. And his wife, on the other hand, you see her arc through the course of the film where she uh, comes to, I don't know, an acceptance of where her husband is at. How do you... How do you decide the people that you're going to focus on as a documentarian? Um, were, the, were, were there stories that you left on the cutting room floor, or was it just kind of obvious the way that this film should develop? There were a couple of stories that didn't make it into the final cut. Uh, and and 
I'm so sad about that. And actually, some of those stories are going to be DVD extras when we put out the DVD a year from now. But Brendan and Jen just kind of emerged as a really strong pair of characters. And I, Jen was what I hadn't counted on. Uh, I, was, I was looking for pastors, and Brendan said, I want to bring my wife and I, to the interview. And I said, okay. And he said, maybe she wants to be interviewed. And I said, okay, I'll do that. And so I interviewed the pair of them together. And it became really clear that Jen was being taken for a ride on this journey that Brendan was on. And it wasn't her choice, but she had to do it. And what I found were two people on very different journeys, um, but they were doing it together you know, uh, in step with each other. The really amazing thing about those two is many, many marriages don't make it when a pastor loses faith. And um, the commitment those two have to each other was really something to see. And and it was uh, astounding to me how much they let me into. I mean, after it was all over, you know, Brendan said, I kind of felt like you were almost, you know, like a like a therapist because we had to we had to articulate everything to you we had to tell you all of this stuff we had to like put it into words and i kind of went yeah but i didn't give you any advice <laughs> i'm just gonna sit here and listen <laughs> and be kind and i think uh i think it was an interesting way for them to go through the process as well i would have liked to have done more active following but when someone's anonymous, you can't really do that because you have to have some explanation for why there's this Canadian documentary right. crew following you around. And they live in a small town, so it would have definitely raised a lot of questions. Yeah, it was, it was fascinating to watch how her everything about her changed from the first interviews to the later ones, like uh, right down to her posture. She looks relieved by the end of the film. Yeah, um, you know, the first day... She was so scared. She really hadn't been in front of a camera before. She didn't know anything about atheists. She didn't really know any atheists, I don't think. And, you know, so Brendan was bringing her to talk to this atheist filmmaker about something terrible going on in her life. And I remember uh, the crew was setting up, and I was going to do one interview and then the other. And um, I asked her to come and sit down on the couch. We, we'd commandeered my uncle's condo. <laughs> Who, is, who lives nearby, and uh, I got her to sit down on the couch, and she was so stiff sitting down. I thought, I don't know how I'm going to get an interview out of this girl. So I said uh, to the guys really quickly, change it up to a two-shot. She's going to need to sit in with him, and I, I thought, I've got to find a way to loosen up the conversation. So I said, tell me how you met. And then you get this wonderful back and forth with the two of them. And I wound up using it in the film. It was just a throwaway question, but it became really an important core of who those two people were. And, and you know, it was, it was just, just a fluke. I'm, you know, I was just really lucky. And as she got to know me, she got much more comfortable with me. And, you know, I think we became good friends by the end of it, you know, just comfortable with the process. So, yeah, it's... But it's, it's scary. Everybody is scared the first time they sit down in front of a camera, and they're not bearing their personal life to you a lot of the time. So it was very brave for her to do that. The end of the film ends on kind of an up note. It's very hopeful for most of the characters by the end of it. Have you followed along? Like, since the, finishing the film, have you heard stories? Have you uh, been in touch with these people? Like, where are they now, I guess is what I'm wondering. Uh, I stay in touch. Um, 
yeah, Brendan and Jen are doing great. Uh, he's gotten a promotion at his job, and he's they seem very happy. Um, actually, Stan uh, is the one that uh, totally blew me away because he was staying in the church. He and his wife were talking about separation, and it was a bit of a down note for him. He just was exhausted and burnt out and really hard. He and his wife did separate. Uh, he took a leave of absence from the church, moved to another state, started uh, substitute teaching, met a lovely woman, divorced, and then immediately remarried. And he has a new life in a new place. And he's, you know, uh, his health has improved and everything. So his life has just gone on a real upswing since he got out. I guess, you know, it's just that pressure is so hard on you. Um, my my other fellow, I I think he's still slowly making his way out of his out of his church career, but it's been very it's been going a little bit more slowly than he thought it would. But I think he's still very quiet about his beliefs. I remember uh, when the Dennett book came out on this subject, and it was kind of at the height of well, maybe just past the cusp of uh, uh, media interest in the new atheism movement. And at the time, I remember there was a lot of furor in the media and there were a lot of like very active blogs on the subject of atheism. Uh, atheism was depicted as becoming evangelical. And a lot of statistics about the growth of the nuns were being thrown around as though, you know, religion was under siege. Since that time, we've seen the rise of Donald Trump, who's this weird, previously secular figure but winds up president on the shoulders of the evangelical movement. And this is being read very much as a reassertion of the, uh, the evangelical Christian uh, core of, um, of the United States. How does your film, how does your film speak to this discourse? Like, is it in a way out of step or is it, kind of an important response to the current situation in uh, in religion in the United States? Gosh, that's a big question. Uh, <laughs> I don't want to, gosh, and that that's, makes me sound like I have so much responsibility. I'm kind of scared now. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, you know, I think what's happening is, because we talk about statistics in the film, and another poll has come out, and the nuns, the group of nuns and ONESs has grown even more. So, yeah, there's a reassertion, but it's the, it's more, I, I think it's more death throes than anything else. It's like, you know, it's, it's still dying. It's, um, I think the people who don't want things to change are making more noise, but I don't think that the numbers are resurging or that the church is getting strong or churches in general are getting stronger again and what you see with the evangelicals is that they're not growing they're just consolidating into mega churches it's right. you know so yeah it's a really big church you know what if you take an overall headcount though there's not more of you so you know i don't think it's necessarily i think it's temporary i think it's gonna i think it's gonna surge and drop and you know it's it's happening Especially with the millennials. Millennials mm -hmm. are not believers in greater numbers than any group that we've ever seen. So as the older people, you know, pass on or become less active, the younger people aren't stepping into that. And I think 
What we're talking about is if you are feeling like you need support and you need community, there are other options. And the other options are starting are, are actually starting to grow. It's interesting, within the United Church, Greta Vosper is one of our characters. She's an atheist pastor in the pulpit. Um, she's Her church actually is one of the few United Churches whose congregation has grown in recent years in the Toronto area. All of the others are fading away. They're abandoning the properties because they can't maintain them. It's The mainline Protestant churches are falling faster than any of them. So, you know... Are we at a step? I don't know. I don't think we are. I think we're going to see some eruptions around it, but I, I think eventually it's going to go that way, whether people are happy about it or not. And the, the new atheists, yes, they, they are kind of militant. I think they're really valuable because they started the conversation. Um, the secular community right now is going through some, some growing pains of its own. There are the ones that, that are focused on social justice, they have one view of what atheism should be or the secular movement should be. Then there are people who are strictly on the skeptic side and they say, well, I don't, they're more conservative politically, more libertarian. They don't necessarily want to, to change, you know, go into the social justice stuff. I think like, like any movement, Christian or otherwise, you're going to find different divisions within that community because people are different all over. So it's finding the right group for you to fit in with, and they're out there. Your film is a lot about the journeys that your characters take. What happened to you in the course of this? Did this movie change you at all? Did it change me? Um, I have always kind of thought... I I was raised in the United Church, so very liberal, but... um, for me, it was the, the depth of compassion that people still maintain after they're not in that job anymore, that ministers are still ministers, whether they believe in God or not, because the key part of it is ministry. They minister to people. They look after people. And, you know, it, it was it was just um, that the deconversion changes you, but it doesn't change the core of who you are. And, you know, it, it's... I think the best part was uh, coming across Houston Oasis's um, uh, slogan, which is people are more important than beliefs. You know, you can get caught up in the divisions and really it's just people are people. You know, we just we just need to be kind, have some good values. Okay, I think I have to wrap it up now. Um, thanks a lot for doing this again. Yeah, well, thank you for having me on your show. I'm I'm really you know, great to be coming back to Regina for the screening and happy yeah. to talk to another Regina. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> um, and yeah, just uh, want to go over that again. You and Leaf will be at the RPL on Friday. Yeah, Life Calder and I will be at the RPL uh, for the six, uh, sorry, 7 p.m. showing. Uh, and we will do a brief Q&A afterwards. So right. people can come and ask us all kinds of questions or or uh, make comments or tell us we're on totally the wrong track or we got it all right. (laughs) Cool. Awesome. Thanks a lot. Thank you. All right. That was filmmaker Leslie Mayer talking about her film Losing Our Religion, which is playing at the Regina Public Library Thursday, October 12th at 9 p.m., Friday, October 13th at 7, Saturday at 9, Sunday at 2.30, and on the Friday showing, she'll be there with Leif Calder, her partner in uh, filmmaking crime, 
uh, to talk about <laughs> losing our religion. And this is 91.3 FM CJTR, Regina Community Radio. We are the Queen City Improvement Bureau. And what do we do now? We adjourn. We totes got to adjourn. Totes. Yeah. We, we totes adjourns. Okay, well, I'm making that motion. All right, I'm totes carrying it. You've been listening to the Queen City Improvement Bureau on 91.3 FM CJTR, Regina Community Radio, as Paul just said. Your hosts have been and still are Paul Deschen and Aiden Morgan. Music from Ryan Hill, a.k.a. Guidewire. You can find us, uh, well, you can find us on iTunes as a podcast or broadcast uh, on CJTR on Thursday nights and also Monday mornings from 9 to 10 a.m. So find your drive to work if you work late, whatever. Uh, you can also find us uh, at Twitter, Queen City IB, and on our website, queencityib.com. Also, you can find us on Facebook. Um, coming up next, I believe we have Maddie V with the Nerdcore Cabaret, followed by the cockpit, and then the melt take us into the night yes. yes so that's all for tonight keep on improving Regina